Hey everybody, thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. This is episode number 142. We have two sponsors. JS Summit, Environments for Humans. Now this is coming up super soon because I think you'll get this on Monday and it starts on Tuesday, but the JavaScript Summit is their biggest, best online summit all about JavaScript, the greatest JavaScript conference ever. Uh, go to JS Summit, uh, and if you haven't registered yet, use coupon code Shop Talk Show to do it. Or maybe it's just Shop Talk. It's either Shop Talk or Shop Talk Show. You're going to love it. And TypeKit. The world's most beloved bring fancy fonts to your website thing. They do so much cool stuff. It is uh, definitely my most recommended way to use custom fonts on websites, typekit.com. We'll tell you more about both those things later in the show, but for now, let's kick things off. Shopper Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about sound effects, front-end web design and development, among many other things. Just how to basically put a website on the internet, man. I'm Dave Rupert. With uh, me is Chris Coyer. It's like our mission statement. What did you say? That's yeah. our mission statement. How to put a website on the internet. So That's a question. Uh, uh, <laughs> we have with us Rachel Smith. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So hey, coming at you live from L.A. Right? Are you in yep. L.A. today? Yep. West cool. Coast. And that's, yeah. Cool. I'm doing the thing with my fingers right now. There's like a symbol. <laughs> West Side. Oh, I know. Uh huh. L.L.A. So that's new to you, though, right? You yeah. Are, you have, you're not born and raised. Yes, I'm born and raised in Australia, North Queensland. Um, which mm. means my Australian accent is particularly Australian. But I've been in L.A. now for almost a year. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. Chris, you do a pretty good Australian accent. Kangaroos and rabbits! That's actually no. not too bad. Most, most <laughs> Americans just sound English. They're like they're always like I can do an, an, an Australian accent, and they're like put another shrimp on the barbie, yeah. and I'm like, no, nope. that, that's English. That's what else? What other one do you get? Do you get now that's a knife? Yeah, yeah you get that. Oh, that just gosh. sounded sh- Welsh or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure you can't even like go to a function without hearing a crocodile Dundee reference. I apologize <laughs> for on behalf of Coca Cola. <laughs> My, uh, That's, this is terrible. Why are we doing that? We have a talented. Skip. We have a talented <laughs> front-end developer on the show, and we're doing trite accent stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is? But what brought you to LA? Let's talk about that. Uh, well, it was uh, my job here, so I yeah. got um, offered a job at a little uh, dev shop called Active Theory in Venice, and. Um, we work with like big advertising agencies to build experiential websites for their uh, clients. So, yeah, it was a um, really exciting job offer for me yeah. personally because it's like a lot of animation work and that's sort of what I decided that I really wanted to focus on. So doing that for my day job is kind of incredible. 
Yeah, oh, it's one of these great. agencies where if you haven't heard of it, you probably should have. Because and follow them on Twitter too. I just did that this morning while I was poking around stuff. And because you po- there's like all kinds of great like, like hey, we're just working on this little demo, and you're like, what mouth dropping <laughs> crazy WebGL stuff? But that's a that's largely what they do as an agency, right? Like we, it's like not Flash. It's like we're gonna build the like these amazing experiential websites, as you put it, like with modern technology, right? Yeah, so um, where the developers uh, are all ex-Flash, we've all done Flash in the past, Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the business owners, my boss, he was particularly into animated websites with Flash, and then when the Flash sort of downfall came or people, iPads came out and people didn't want to use Flash anymore, he wanted to figure out a way to do the same thing with HTML5. So we use like a JavaScript library to basically um, try and do all the things you could do with Flash four or five Mm -hmm. years ago. Um, And these days it's like the web's really getting there with WebGL and stuff, so you can build really exciting stuff using HTML5. So that's awesome. Yeah, I was just looking at like, so one of them, like just a few tweets ago, it says we use 3JS to create cinematic effects for witnessgotham.com. So we yeah. can drop that in the chat room. But, so did you work on that or? <laughs> yes, I did. The, uh, the, that um, 3D scene you like see in the, that yep. you spin around and you see everything. I had to lay that out a couple of times in with like 3JS. So uh, that was. A uh, pretty painstaking process, but the um, end result is awesome. Like people have been s- super excited about that one because it, I don't know, it just looks pretty good considering it's all like WebGL JavaScript. Yeah, um, it looks no amazing. It looks involved. like one of those things where you see it and you're like, I had, I'm sure a lot of people see it. Like I, they had no idea that the web could even do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's It's quite experimental. I mean, there's a lot of WebGL shaders and stuff in there that not, it's sort of more of a higher end like computer experience. Um, mm-hmm. People who don't have like newer machines with newer browsers probably won't get the same, you know, awesome experience. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's really, it ended up being a really impressive example of what you can do now. Mm-hmm. Is- this is the website Gotham deserves. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it is. Oh, I'm Batman. I just saw Birdman last night, and he like like Michael Keaton does does basically a Batman voice in it when he's so. I'm Birdman. Yeah, it's just like that. Uh, so when it, I don't know. I guess I have endless questions. This is about really this, cool. But- so you guys are kind of cutting edge WebGL. I mean, special effects and stuff like that. And I'm sure, like being in LA, kind of cater to the more Hollywood crowd, right? I mean. Because your lab work is pretty awesome, um, or, or even just your work work, it, it like things like I mean that the racer game for Google that where like you set six phones together and like you play the little like like accelerate yep. or not that was active theory game. yeah nice oh, I mean this is one that was uh, that was is... sort of like the first big gig because I mean it's pretty when you think about it, active theory has only been operating for just over two years it's like very young studio. And um, that was Racer was their first sort of big gig um, that nice. set everything in motion. So yeah, it's that's a really so cool you're project. you're kind of on the like super rich end of things, um, n- not so much the 
the progressive enhancement, make it work for everybody kind of things. Because you guys are kind of on the cutting yeah. edge side of things. Yeah, Is there I, a little I, bit more like progressive enhancement going on than there would be in Flash, though, or is it? Just oh yeah, same? we d- we definitely try and um, you know gracefully degrade. I would say um, so. Yeah, we. Do, it's not like if you don't have, you know, the latest Chrome, it's no website for you. You know, it's like it's right. it's more like we. Most of our jobs, we sort of don't serve IE nine just because it doesn't have literally like any of the capabilities that we mm-hmm. use. Um, but you know, we try and still provide a good experience to everyone. You just will generally get um, the super awesome experience on you know like new Chrome, new Safari, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the work we do is, is sort of at the moment, it's more on the like experiential side of things. So um, standards wise, you look at our markup that's generated by the library and it's like kernel standards would probably like pass out or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to need to take a nap. Is that just a body tag? <laughs> yeah. What are all these ah. divs? Like, it just, like, he would lose his mind. Oh, so, <laughs> um, but, yeah, but it's um, it's weird. That's where we're at now. I mean, it's a very small company and no doubt we'll move more into a wider world. Yeah, and well. um, But at the moment, most of our work has been experiential stuff. A job we're working on right now is actually branching out into more standards-based cross-browser stuff. So oh, when that comes cool. out, that'll be sort of like a different example of what we can do. Well, I'm a big fan of like, like, I don't know. You got to break some eggs to make an omelet. Is that the same? <laughs> yeah. just, you you got to just get on the cutting edge and just see what's possible. Yeah. This is cool stuff. I mean, we have a lot of fun with it. We're like, yeah. we just love, you know, pushing the boundaries, seeing what you can do with the browser. Yeah. And sometimes that break th- breaks things. Um, we're li- like you're living on the edge with when you're dealing with like Chrome and new stuff because sometimes like they'll release a new version and it has a bug that breaks things <laughs> because you are because right. everything is so you know on the bleeding edge. But um, it's we wouldn't really want to be anywhere else because it's just too much fun making this sort of stuff. Yeah, you you there's a lot more heartache out there, but I like thinking <laughs> that web standards is kind of like. Like the web is the underdog, so there needs to be web standards so that so that we can like hopefully win this this battle. Like if the web gets too segmented, it's going to lose to other platforms. But the, the only reason we care that it loses is because it's so great. You know, the internet's yeah. so great, and it's kind of the underdog. But it's like nobody gets mad that you can't buy, you know, that you can't play PS4 games on an Xbox. You know, but it's the same kind of thing. It's just we're not worried about that industry. We don't really care. But we yeah. do care about the web. Well, and it's, yeah, it's like, I mean, yeah. It, and we're not even, this works on most video game systems, like this website, but it's just older video game systems, out of date ones. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. So. So, so, so it's easy to think sometimes when you're like, well, this website needs to only be viewed on Chrome. And you're like, I don't know, big deal, right? It's like Chrome is, it's free even. You know, yeah. just go download it. But but then, you know, you know I mean, we, we got to be a little careful with that stuff. If you if you are making something that is like providing essential information for people or, um, you know, like is right. relatively important, I, I 100% like 
back web standards, accessibility standards, all that. I think that's super important. But we're building sort of like giant um, ads for brands yeah, and stuff. It's a big ad. That, so, I mean, it's like yeah. this enormous ad. So, you know, it's sort of not... I wouldn't call it necessary information, so it's not the end of the world. And the necessary information that is there it. is still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So taking this topic real quick, getting in some hot drama, Google Inbox, pretty cool app, right? Love it. Doesn't work on Firefox. It's it's a web-based That's the one I had client. Too, that... Doesn't work in, in a web browser, in all web browsers. And it's like, how hard is it to do Chrome and Firefox compatibility, like zero hard. But I'm curious to hear what, what everyone So you think about. they locked it down not by any technological thing, but because they want you to use Chrome? Uh, yeah, I mean, unless <laughs> there's some weird API I don't know about. It, I think they just, I think it's like try to get people on Chrome. Wow. Force, for, force people's FOMO. I guess I've, I don't know because neither of us, we're in those meetings or anything, but I would tend to yeah. think it's the other way. I tend to think that there, it's just not, uh, there's something a little screwy uppy about it yet. And maybe that they'll loosen that up once they fix it or something. But I don't know. That's just the optimistic point of view, I guess. Like they're, they're dependent on salt or pepper or something. Or there's like just that, like, or? there's a lot of animation stuff that goes on. You know, when you like, when you open up a, 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 I don't know if you guys have used Inbox yet, but I'm still freaking loving it. I think it's so nice. Like their bundles kind of like expand. There's just a lot of like transformy, animation y, transition y stuff that goes on there. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just a little jank in Firefox still, and they just need to work that out before they, they didn't want to launch something janky, you know? I'm not trying to defend them. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, it could be, no doubt, it's like a resource-based decision. You, uh, they do render things differently, Chrome and Firefox, so you could have that jank or something mm. there that it's like not the optimal product, and it's like, do we want to spend resources on making it work in Firefox, or do we just want to, you know, make it Chrome only? So obviously, they made that cool. <laughs> All right. So, Rachel, active um, active theory it does crazy awesome stuff on CodePen. That's how I know you and met you. We met for the first time at Front End Design Conference, the the, the ever the last one, I guess, yes. in, uh, in Portland. So that was mm-hmm. pretty fun. Or you did the last two, I think, because didn't you do it in Florida? Yeah, too? I did it in St. Pete first, and then Dan asked if I'd come to Portland as well. So that nice. was that was super awesome for me, getting to do two of them. Really good. Uh, I think it's not the last one now. I think that's what happened is that uh, the uh, the unmatched style folks bought Yeah, it. they said they're going to take it on. Which is smart, I think, because um, it's not it's not like they're this like enterprise company that think, you know, I don't know. Well, we'll just like is it is it profitable? Let's buy it. <laughs> uh, these are like they run their own series of events. Some of the best conferences out there, I think, the Converge series. And now they bought BDConf, and apparently BDConf is just as good or better than it ever was. Uh, so it's kind of like I have high hopes. Yeah. The front-end dev will live on and be Yeah, cool. well, it's a really awesome community out there, like in Florida. Like, I was kind of blown away when I went there that, like, how many people there were that were just, like, so into web and just, like, so nice and stuff. Because you don't really – I feel like you don't really get that here in L.A., there's not yeah. really a strong sort of like front end scene here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cultivated by Dan mm. himself. 
All right. So cool. That was fun. And, and now we have some background on you. Anything else you, uh, we should know about you before we <laughs> dig into the... No, I think that's probably it. Okay. Sweet. Uh, Excellent! <laughs> we're right on time. Just nailing it. You got any, do one more. What do you got? All right. Uh, let's see. Um, oh. Big nuts! <laughs> All right. Let's go, Chris. Chris, come on. Writes in, Mr. Mr. Uh, Hipster Brown himself. I have been playing around with request animation frame in an attempt to create a smoother, more efficient animated scroll to effect for various web projects I work on. In some modern browsers, I'm getting some stuttering at the beginning of the animation. Is there any tips on how to create smoother animations using request animation frame or resources for this type of thing? So yeah, you've, I'm sure you've used it, Rachel, right? You usually do yep. a lot of, and this is, request animation frame is like the way to make performant animations. It's kind of like a way to make an infinite loop, right, essentially, yeah. that, it, yeah. that run, runs nicely. Yeah, so um, request animation frame, what it's essentially doing is handing up like the next frame when the browser is um, ready to give you that frame. Um, so it's sort of not like a people, sometimes people think it's like a switch. Like you just, Oh, I'll use request animation frame and then my frames will be sped right up. And it's like, well, that's not really what it does. It, it will speed the frames right up if the browser is able to give you those frames fast. Um, but if you've got sort of like processor intensive stuff happening, a lot of JavaScript or maybe like DOM manipulation that's sort of like holding the browser up, um, it's not going to hand you that frame until it's ready and it can slow the frame rate down. So if you're experiencing like a stutteriness with request animation frame, that just means that the browser is doing something, whether you're like manipulating the DOM or, you know, uh, making too many network requests or just doing something that's like holding up that um, process main stack, then you will get a drop in frame rate. Okay, so it's not, it's probably not request animation frame itself. It's that there's something like what's happening in that request animation frame or something else that's actively running on that page. It's just, it's busy. It's trying to do something else. And what that something else is might might not be code that you wrote. I mean, it probably is, but it's like, it could be like, who knows, like paints, right? Like, yeah, exactly. It could be anything. That's the hard thing is like any number of things. It's, um, could be something JavaScript-wise. It could just be something DOM-related. Could be something the browser is, um, yeah, painting or doing. What I usually do is like, as you've, I think, I think you said at the beginning when it begins to scroll, it's having mm-hmm. some trouble. So maybe just try and like nail down what is going on in in that time um, and go from there as to figure out why it's holding yeah. up your frames. Cool. It looks like you found the the, the, the solution anyway, which is great. Okay, but cool. for other people, I think that's one of those interesting, you know, when you see like fancy Paul Irish videos where he's like opens up the, the, the timeline and then yeah. like runs a little recording and grabs yeah. a little section of it and looks at all the paints and stuff. This is the kind mm-hmm. of situation where that would be useful in is yeah, getting totally. familiar with that. So you can be like, okay, I see there's a big long purple bar for paint that's attached to this element. So let me mm-hmm. look at what's going on on that element. And so, yep. I, I, I can't do that. I mean, I, <laughs> I can click the right buttons. 
but I, I usually <laughs> Once you can't. get into that timeline, it's like, whoa, like, just mind blown. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's like fun. It's like, find the thing. It's like your little performance <laughs> detective and you're like deep in the you browser are. trying to figure out what mm. went wrong. You should definitely have to wear like, a special yeah, hat like, when you... You're analyzing like a, a like one millionth of a second, yeah. and you're like, "What? Why? Why? Why is it purple?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's so, so new that the like the UI in there isn't as refined as it is elsewhere. So it's a little it's a little confusing still. Oh yeah, you, know? you need to watch a few like Paul Irish videos or something to understand yeah. what's going on there. Like, there's no way you just open it up and be like, I oh, watched yes. a Remy Sharp one I where see, he exactly. fixed a problem with it and then tried to recreate it in, in a screenshot. And he was like, uh, this worked before, <laughs> you know? He, like, ultimately kind of found it, but there definitely wasn't this moment where he's like, you know, that's where we're all at. Like, the best videos out there are people being confused by it. Like, it's good. <laughs> Looks like uh, Nick found his solution yep. using Windows scroll by instead of Windows scroll to the reverse a blog post on code pen oh. uh, I was I was also gonna say uh, looking at your code pen a code auditing you Nick uh, you're using like offset top and stuff like that um, and, and I know that some and scroll Y and stuff like that I know that that don't those kind of cause a layout recalc? There, there are certain like properties in JavaScript that cause a layout recalc, so you have to kind of be careful there. Yeah, even asking um, for yeah, offset. sometimes reading things will set off. Even yeah. just reading, like asking for a property, not even changing it. Certain mm-hmm, properties. Mm-hmm. Will I've exploited like that in the past. So I did something similar. I was doing like a fixed header thing, like on scroll or whatever. Like you like snap the header. Um, and I, I ended up using like get bounding rect, um, dot top, I think I was. Mm. And, um, it was, uh, it was awesome. I mean, I just returned like if, uh, element is element at top. And then that function was just like element dot get bounding rectangle dot top, like less than equal to zero. And it, that's all it returned. It just like a true or false value. And so, um, it was pretty smooth, as smooth as I could get it. Mm. So nice. that's something to think about. Let me do a little sponsor quick, and then we'll jump on to another topic here. The URL is <laughs> jssummit.com. That will take you to the Environments for Human site for the JavaScript Summit. And so if you're listening to this via the podcatcher of your choice, it'll probably be coming out on Monday, the 17th. And this starts November 18th. So I, I feel like we're right on the wire here. Just decide you're going to go and go. you know, Or like maybe you found out that you just have a light week this week and spend your time learning instead. What's kind of fun is you can attend these and work at the same time, kind of, because <laughs> they're just on your computer. You can just have an open tab or an open window on another monitor or something where you're watching what's going on and still be being productive. I think that's highly uh, fun. Anyway, it's three days in a row. Pick the day that you want to go. Go to all three days. Go to two days or whatever. Use coupon code Shop Talk to save 20% off of the deal. But, you know, there's so much stuff in here. Um, you know, there's a talk, uh, by Elijah Manor talking about getting rid of jQuery, you know, like not getting rid of it, but you know, all of those, like that, that the timing we're in right now in the web is kind of that, like jQuery is still cool, but like, here's a bunch of stuff that you don't need it for. Bunch of talks on SVG, of course, because it's, it has been declared that SVG is important. Async talks. There's just like the best of the best JS nerds talking about stuff at this thing. So go to it. 
Yeah, three days. It's crazy. This is their it's seminal like, conference. Like I would call it. Is, did I use that word correctly? That was good. That was good. I, I hope. <laughs> of a work Google it. strongly no, influencing <laughs> later developments. Okay. I think it's okay. Ooh, right. not number two, though. Ugh. Not number two. Okay. All right. Hey, <laughs> moving on. We got another question. I'm gonna, it's an audio. Let's do question. the uh, let's do Matt Multi Milters. Is that okay? Oh yeah, do that. Jump. Go ahead. I'm going to do that one. one. Yep. I I could I could read it, but I sound horrible. It's okay. Like I got kicked in the chest by a horse. I wonder if you. This is Malt Multi Milters. I wondered if you guys had any good references or um, about animated charts and statistics. I've really been interested in programming some nice statistic for a stuff for a per personal project, but I'm not even sure what tech would be appropriate for this. I need to be able to have nice transitions on graphs, like the like the classic Google Analytics type, uh, where it visits over time chart, and, the, and other charts like pie charts and so on. What tech would be good for this? Would it be JavaScript or Canvas or some other type of thing? Have you, I mean, in your, does Active Theory dabble in that kind of thing? Do you do you data viz or is it not not really? Um, we've done a little bit of data viz, not like a whole heap though. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I like have a personal interest in data viz. Like I think it's really cool. Um, so I've sort of like looked around at what people are doing, kept my eye on it. Um, somebody's just posted in the chat actually. There's a really great JavaScript library called D3.js, um, mm -hmm. and that is really awesome, but I would only recommend it for people who um, are, you know, intermediate in JavaScript because um, it's pretty right. intense. I've heard a million. I mean, the, the, it's probably the most popular thing yeah. for data viz that's ever been like yeah. everybody works in it there's like i i hear people like take college courses on d3 and stuff yeah um but can you i mean have you used it a little bit or a lot yeah i've had to play around with it just because i love the um there's got some really cool like built-in physics stuff which i've like messed around with nice. um just for fun um where you can create graphs that like don't mean mean or communicate much but like the things like fly around and bounce and stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, as, as far as technology goes, I mean, D3 has it built in. It's like uh, SVG is like awesome for for charting. Um, so there is are... Is D3 like, largely yeah. SVG? It's an SVG library or does it do less or more than that? D3, I'm pretty sure you can use it. Uh, with, it's like technology agnostic i'm pretty sure so like you Anything can use it dom. with canvas you could use it you oh, know, really? with the dom you can use it with um svg uh so there you know there's like you can it's the javascript that powers all of that stuff basically um but yeah if you're dealing with like anything to do with charts that, especially charts that need to scale um uh, then svg is awesome and there are a bunch of other svg libraries specifically for charting on the internet this time yeah it's so interesting like there's different like these these libraries kind of enter at different points in what you need exactly like d3 is super low level then if you're mm -hmm. like well i'm going to use svg 
uh, maybe I'll use Snap SVG, which is great. And mm-hmm. Snap is just for just for SVG, and it it allows you to create SVG. So there's APIs like for creating elements. There's mm-hmm. there's ones for manipulating all the attributes and stuff mm-hmm. on elements. They're just these are just JavaScript APIs. And then there's stuff for animating them as well. So that's what yeah. you get from SV, Snap SVG. It's pretty small. It's a little bit like jQuery. It makes working with SVG a little easier. Creating, manipulating, and animating. And then if you were like, well, I like, but Snap doesn't have anything just for charts in it you know you might use another library on top of that even that's like this is just for charts like this is like create there's an api or something i don't know yeah. how high charts work i don't know how these work but there probably yeah, high is charts like is one way you like literally you pass in an object of data and it just draw, <laughs> makes it a draws chart. a chart for you there yeah. it is on the page right. yeah. well, that would be the easiest place to jump in you have the yeah. data you just need a dang chart use that. Or if you're like, I'm going to design my own chart in SVG because I, I, I know what kind of shapes I want. I can pull this off. You'd probably mm-hmm. use something to help you draw the SVG like Snap. Or if you're like, lowest level ever, I, you'd go with D3 or just do your own thing. There's different entry points. Yeah. And yeah. even even a library like D3, there are so, there are so many examples that, um, that are provided with it that you could probably, if you didn't feel comfortable doing a chart from scratch, you could probably just take one of those examples and, you know, plug your data in and, and sort of adjust it until you feel comfortable with the JavaScript. So it depends how, like, low level you want to go with your creating your charts, whether you just want to pass data in or you want to get right into it and, like, draw it yourself so you can control every little thing. I was just going to say, I use Chart.js um, just for like quick charts. It's really like, it's that, it's one of those, like it has different charts. You can kind of change the colors. You can't really, you know, you're not getting into like Veroni, you know, algorithms and stuff like that. But like, it's, uh, it, I like it. It's cool. It's really easy. Chart.js.org. Um, uh, but yeah, like D3 is super cool, but the thing about D3 and anyone who uses D3 kind of tells you this is like, if you kind of did one thing wrong, I don't know, like you forgot a value or something, you just get like a white screen. Yeah. And so you kind of have to like, it, it the, like, uh, yeah, it's a high bar. So, um, okay. but the, even there is a billion D3, million examples with D3 too, cause it's just, it's so popular and prolific. Yeah. I, I my boss stuck the guy who made D3, he's just made like so many chart examples so mm-hmm. yeah there's so many examples sweet i i saw like a yeah this it's great this is what like uh uh what's his face uh nate silver from from the 538 blog or whatever he used a lot of d3 for like those obama is obama gonna win or lose based on what thing like he used d3 to kind of generate those kind of charts so I think it also helps to know what kind of charts you need. I guess analytics would just be like, I don't know, dashboard speed indicators kind of things or um, like half a pie chart kind of thing or what? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, That's like a whole anyway. other thing altogether is like with database, it's like there's the coding aspect of it, but there's like how to take some information you've got and present it in a meaningful way. And that's like a whole nother subject really. Yeah. High charts was mentioned in the chat room cloud.highcharts.com if you wanted to play with it. And I like that. I like that you can just before try before you buy, if you will. 
Um, cause that's the sucky part is like when you, you like say, I think I found it, I'm going for it. And then like, it takes you a few months to like figure out how it all works. So try that's before so, you buy. Yeah. I read this guy's book. That's he's the signal in the noise. Nate Silver. Anyway, I was distracted. Nate Silver. Yeah. Statistician dude. Um, let's do another question. I, Oh, right. Yeah, I have that that audio question. Let's do Matt, it. Does that sure. Okay, here we go. Matt Bivens uh, calls in to the show. Hey, guys. My name is Matt. I'm building apps that help kids learn how to read, which means my life is pretty awesome. My question, though, is about WebSockets. I just got back from Charleston and the Giant Conf. I saw a great talk by Josh Clark about the Internet of Things. So now I know that WebSockets and WebRTC is the way to go if you want a direct, real-time connection between two or more devices. The apps that I'm building are not super complicated. There's a tic-tac-toe sort of game and a hangman kind of thing. They're simple, but I want them to seem magical. On the internet, I have uh, found some paid services like PubNub and Pusher.com. They look great, but I could also get deeper into Node and Socket.io. Um, uh, what I was hoping is that, that one of you had an experience narrowing down all these current options because each one has a learning curve. For me, I'm not a JavaScript master yet. Even more specifically, do you have a helpful tip on understanding this whole WebSockets pub sub concept? That would be great. Thanks for the podcast. Bye. All right, Matt. Uh, he's kind of wanting to build kind of interactive, I guess, experiences with web sockets and stuff. Um, I don't know. Any experience? Um, so I, I guess we could just generically talk about web sockets a little bit or, or basically real time anything on the web. Um, have you looked at web sockets at all, Rachel? Yeah. So, um, we've used web sockets quite a bit. Um, I mean that you were talking about racer before that's web sockets. All we've right. Built We've built a couple of multi-phone um, games since then. So for um, Coke, we've got we've done like a penguin curling game um, and a FIFA shootout game, which is like you can like just shoot into a soccer goal, um, and that all uses web sockets to like so you can have multiplayer stuff. Um, and we've used we've used IO with Node. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a pretty good experience with that. Um, I've heard like mixed reports on socket IO from people, but us personally, we've had pretty good experience with socket IO and, um, I mean, using web sockets, uh, it's, it's total voodoo. Like I still don't understand (laughs) how it, how it is a thing that works, but basically you like, you open a connection between two, like. Uh, between you can have it between two servers or a front end and a server. It's just sort of like this open connection. And then you can just ping each other with messages um, at any time and they will just get passed on um, immediately or almost immediately. So yeah. um, And if you, I don't know if you've used node a little bit and you're sort of somewhat comfortable with node, you'll find setting up a socket IO is like super simple. And to like send messages back and forth is like a really quick thing to get set up. Yeah, like the, so the classic example ends up being a chat room always, right? Because that's so yeah. 
you, you if you were building a chat room on the web like you know like the one right here and the shop talk thing you wouldn't want to re- you wouldn't want to just refresh the page like all the time right you wouldn't want yeah. to just because that would just be obnoxious that's not how the web works right so the way yeah. that it was kind of done in the past is they did these like you can do an ajax request right you can do an ajax request for more data great yeah. problem solved right but how do you know when to do that ajax request because you're just a browser you have no idea if there's new data on the server all by yourself you just don't there's not an open connection like that so what you could do is um you could make an ajax request say every 10 seconds or something like that well that how efficient is that you know now you're now you're just hitting the server all the time and it's not going to scale well very well for lots of people because they're hitting the server when there isn't need necessarily new data and stuff like that so that's not very efficient either there was a technique called long polling which is like i'm going to open an ajax request and the server is going to grab it and just kind of hold on to it and not respond with anything kind of like a like the website is down almost until it gets some more data and then it will fill that request and that was an interesting little hacky kind of thing that 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 could be done uh and i'm not sure how people feel about that one but that was like one of the techniques and i think socket io might even fall back to, to techniques like that uh, but then there's, but then they're like, okay, this is getting a hacky out of control. And WebSockets came along and said, well, now, now there's a new technology. We'll just allow you to keep an open connection with a server or, or some, some other, or even another browser. Right? I'm not even exactly sure how it all works, but the point is now it's just has a listener and it's just waiting for an event to happen, somebody to send it data and then it will process it like a little callback. But it just remains open. It's just it was designed to do exactly this. So uh, let's say somebody posts a new message in a chat room. It'll be like, I know what to do with that new message. I'm going to display it on the browser window. Or in the case of a soccer game, I don't know, like the soccer ball has entered new screen event. So, so, you know, show soccer ball on screen with this trajectory. Yeah. So the complication for stuff, um, it gets more complicated depending on what you're doing. Um, if you're just sending stuff like a chat message, that's super easy because it's like just send through, you know, a JSON object, which is like has the data for the chat message. When you're dealing with things like games and you've got to have like um, almost like real time, oh, this ball moved at this or this, you know, car moved at this velocity and it comes into the next screen at this yeah. like velocity and pace and like and, and you're bringing in all this other information which is what happens with games and um the same can be said for like drawing applications are really difficult um so yeah the more complicated information you're trying to send and then process on the other end that's sort of it's less about the web socket itself more like what you're doing on either end of that web socket because it's got to be fast and efficient right you yeah. send less data equals fast do less on the other side is less matt bivens even said in his question here he, they're not overly complicated when he's talking about building tic-tac-toe or hangman but he wants them to to seem magical well to seem yeah. magical means be fast and be nice yeah you know? And it's sort of things a lot of like a lot of people think well I'm, i would like to do because it comes up a lot i would like to you know, um, say you're playing tic-tac-toe and you're like trying to draw like a cross um, and you want that cross to show up on the other screen while it's being drawn. That's sort of like we're not there yet with WebSockets because that's too much information getting passed back and forth, which is like the state of a canvas. Um, So you'd Uh. have to limit it to something simpler, like when I finish drawing this cross, 
I'd get that data from the canvas and then ping it over to the other game and then the cross would appear. But then you have the complication of when is somebody finished drawing a cross? Like when, like what designates that event? So like when you're thinking about it in terms of that sort of stuff, it can get a bit complicated. I, I get it. I think like yeah. you, you would just send me an instruction to you draw a cross at this location and I'll draw yeah. a cross at this location. And, yeah. and, but not like draw one pixel of a cross. Now report that back and I'll draw that <laughs> yeah. same pixel of a cross. Now I'm going to draw the next. That would lock things up. Yeah. yeah. Too much data being transferred back yeah. and forth. Think of how, you know, and now, and now we're just talking about tic-tac-toe. I think of like playing <laughs> Starcraft with somebody, which isn't web, but it's still that same type of thing. We need to be looking at the same real time environment of a game where there's lots of stuff going on. So when the designers of StarCraft are working on that, they're trying to figure out how they can send as little information back and forth to keep these games synced up because that little information equals fast. Yeah. It's like the, the least amount of information you can send and receive to, to deduce what's going on on both screens sort of thing. Yeah. Fascinating. So, Matt, WebSockets is the technology you'd probably be using here. You mentioned WebRTC as well. That's slightly different. That deals with audio and video. So they're related in that it's real time, but and it's very cool. So if you wanted to have your kids talk to each other, you could do that, although that's tremendously dangerous. So definitely don't put an app in the, in the, in the, in the app store that's like, live chat with kids. <laughs> that's not... Yeah, well, isn't the... Classic example, like the Nintendo DS had this like drawing app that you could share. Mm. And I mean, you give kids a drawing app and it doesn't end well. So uh, careful out there. <laughs> careful out there. You're, you're in charge of protecting people as well. We so. have a lot of r- real-time stuff on, on CodePen. And we started with Stocket.io, which is a good working technology. But I think there's kind of like... They're going to morph it into something else. I can't remember what the trajectory for Socket.io is, but we had some memory leak problems that were kind of well-documented and unsolved, and we needed to switch to a library that could do a little less. So we did. We ended up switching to one called Fay, which was nice for us, but still was like none of us are Node experts. Or, you know, so we were kind of we got it done, and it was it was better for us than Socket.io just for our purposes, you know. Uh, and then even then, we're like, we ended up in the, and Matt, you mentioned this too, uh, 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 PubNub, which is kind of like a, a hosted service for this kind of thing. You use their little APIs, which ultimately end up using WebSockets and doing all the fallback stuff for you, just like Socket.io would. But it's kind of hosted, and it they solve a lot of problems for you, like, you know, hosted, but on a CDN, you know, like, like, like be a really good middleman for things like WebRTC, which is kind of fantastic. So uh, we're, we're fans of Pub, PubNub. Anyway. Well, we should well do hopefully an- we answered your yeah. question. I, yeah, we should do another question. Hey, we should. We have Typekit. Thanks thanks for coming back, Typekit. Just, if you haven't been to Typekit.com in a while, just like their logged out homepage is so nice. I feel like more people, should, you know, like it's one of those sites where you're like, why are all websites the same? You know, when you have that like bummer moment, like every Wednesday morning, <laughs> you should look at a site like Typekit. You're like, this is not the same, you know? I mean, the logo is in the upper left, but it has this like awesome, like fade to black hero with beautiful typography on it. And then these like grid of boxes that slide open. It's very unusual looking and, and does a great job of, of selling what what custom fonts can bring to you because that's what code that's what typekit does it's uh it you know it's the, it works with the at font face technology and css meaning 
have a custom font load on the page, but it does it all correctly. You know, they're really nice fonts. You have to pay money for them. It's not that much money, but it's a little bit of money because you should have to pay money for nice fonts because that's the deal. Anyway, if you if you're like need to look at Dave's face more often, you could go to typekit.com because it's right there. He's the hey. if you were wondering which which triangle in the in the in the triforce Dave is, it's the top one. He's the top one. Heavy set top one. Um <laughs> one thing I was going to point out I uh Practice.typekit.com uh, is a little like kind of uh, typography practice blog by Tim Brown, who also uh, I love typography guy on Twitter. Uh, no, he's he's this, I love type oh, I love typography's I love, blog, which is also very good. Okay, I was off. I love type. Okay, uh, sorry, sorry, Tim. Uh, t- anyway, so he has these lessons. So if you're not if you're like a developer like me and you're not super savvy about type, you, you know enough to like get yourself in trouble. Uh, this is pretty cool because he, he kind of uh, explains like what, how you select a typeface for, for body text and why, what, what's good about that. And then even just like the difference between typography, a font, and you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and just like the terminology and stuff like that. So, you know, so you feel like less of an idiot when you're talking with really uh, important designer, like really skilled designers. So, um, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. And, uh, and, and it looks like they're kind of like looking for feedback on what, what should they kind of like talk about next. So if you have questions, I think just hit up type, type kit. So. Absolutely. Practice is really cool. He's, he's nice web type. That's what he's in. Just, nice just to be nice. Uh, one of the things that oh, if you're nice. on the creative cloud bandwagon with TypeKit, one of the things that you can do is while you're browsing TypeKit and picking out fonts to put in your kits to use on your websites, you can also be like, hey, while you're at it, sync this to my desktop too. Just one click, it moves over, it just auto-downloads on your computer, and then when you're using any of the Creative Cloud apps, you have access to that font in the desktop apps as well, which is nice because you could use it in print work, but also you can be mocking things out you know, in Illustrator, in Design, uh, Photoshop, whatever, in the fonts that are ultimately the same exact ones that are going to be used on the web which is kind of a cool thing that Typekit offers that cool. is unique to them. So, uh, cool. Check out Typekit.com. Love them. We use it on Shop Talk Show. Shop Talk. Awesome. Uh, okay, let's... Uh, we got this uh, question from... What's, uh, Grant? Uh, yeah, Grant. Here we go. Uh, this is a good question. Grant Bond writes in, I have partnered with a designer to build an Instagram-like app. I am a front-end web developer with PHP experience, but have never created a native phone application. Would a program like PhoneGap or Iconic be a good solution for this problem, uh, or or would the hybrid app have performance issues? Mm. It's Ionic is interesting. Ionic, Ionic is really Ionic. cool SVG icon set thing, but Ionic is like a, a framework thingy, and I think they're out of Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, yo. Hey, um, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, Ionic is like basically like like uh, iOS dot CSS kind of for Angular, like an Angular app. It's cool. I, I was actually like the other day. I was like, why doesn't somebody just make like an iOS style sheet? And they did. So, and I guess it all also go to Android too. So maybe there's some conveniences there, but like, you know, like table views and tabs and stuff like that. So, 
what what's at the heart of this question now? Have you? I mean, do, what if would you, have you done a a phone specific ish job, uh, Rachel, where that needed to be like high performance and for sure on a phone? Never. I've never done a port to native app on a mobile phone. Okay, but maybe some web um, work that need. Yeah, I've done a lot of web phone stuff. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of. I've 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 never really done like the port web to native because I'm like I'm like scared it's just going to be a total mess when you try and port it just because I've never done it before but I feel like you could get things performing really well using Safari on your iPhone but then I'm not sure if the web view that's provided. Um, that's the worry. I think of, that's exactly Grant's worry is that like... Yeah, is the, the web view that's provided by, you know, when you when you phone gap something is going to perform in the same way. And that, I guess it's really only something you could just, you'd have to see, like, <laughs> if it works, depending on what types of things you're trying to do in your app. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I personally haven't tried to do it, so I can't really speak too much on experience. Is it, so that's the... That's the thing, though. Is it a web view when you use PhoneGap, or is it not? Does it build to an actual native thing? It's not a web view. It's really actually a native app. I, I it's a web view. So um, it, it's in actually in iOS eight, it got better. So it's not just like UI web view. It's called a WK web view, which is like full on like that's the nitro engine. So the, historically there were problems like using web views and stuff like that. Or if you like bookmark the app on the home screen, that would trigger another web view, a, di- a totally different kind of like JavaScript engine and stuff like that. Um, and you'd have problems like it would, it's just slow. It's, it's terrible. That's like when you like use Twitter on, on your phone and like the JavaScript takes like six times as long to execute. That's, that's the web view going on, but it, in theory, it's a little better now. So, um, and and I've actually been phone gapping. I'm working on an app with my brother called. I'm gonna. Oh, I need to get the uh, the dollar sign sound effect ready. <laughs> but uh, it's called um, uh, Over mm-hmm. Under. Yeah, Over it's really Under. Really fun, app you guys. On Twitter, I've played it a couple Under times app. now. Um, it's good. It's def. It's not a drinking game, but it's a drinking game. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, for trivia, um, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'll if we see each other at a conference, I'll, we'll play it for sure. But um, it, uh, it it it's super good. Um, uh, there's uh, like you go into PhoneGap and then you actually learn like oh I have to use this thing called Cordova, which is like the guts of PhoneGap ripped out, and PhoneGap is kind of morphed into like a tool at least from my point of view, like a tool that is, is an Adobe tool to kind of help you launch your app and get it out to test it and to launch it. And so, uh, but Cordova is, is the, uh, guts of everything. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I've started to see, um, things like, and I've, there's like some configuration you do to spit it out into a phone, and uh, it's it's pretty awesome because you just configure it kind of in a XML file, which isn't cool, but you do that in an XML file, and then it'll spit out uh, what it needs to do. And and uh, somebody in the chat room is saying like, yeah, like 
not all web views are the same. Like Android is totally different. Like that's Wonder Yak talking, uh, speaking truth there. Like, I mean, like I just heard about this, this, uh, this Samsung phones has its own version of WebKit that was snapped at like Chrome 35 or something like that. Yes. So, so, oh my God. <laughs> Like just it's like the just bane of total, my existence. Yeah, I mean that's just the saddest trombone in the whole world. So I, I think that's kind of like we're dealing with that. Um, you know, so again, that's like getting testing devices and then uh, being being careful about that. But you know, it, it, like I think do it. That's what I'm saying. Like, like I'm whatever. I'm like team whatever makes it cheap. You know, but um, like, like whatever gets it out cheap. But you could also, you know, spend thirty days learning iOS and <laughs> a pro. You, you couldn't know, which is nobody ever says. Nobody was ever like, you know what, this web views faster. You know, like I've never heard that side. Usually, it's people like <laughs> right. it's just as fast at best. <laughs> so, but remember when we had Rick Blaylock out? He was talking about AppCelerator. Is that the same? How the, is that how all these work? Isn't there any of them that build to native? Right, there's got to be at least one. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. There's ones where you can Maybe build it in HTML and CSS, and it does serious magic on the back end to make it a truly native app. I think Accelerator is one of those. Does Accelerator do? I think they maybe do that. Or, yeah, or maybe if you use something like TypeScript or something like that, you can do it. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm all um, about the web, yo. Yeah, keep it, keep it, keep it team cheap. Preach. <laughs> We should make we should make uh, that into a sound. We should we should yeah. All right, well, let's we'll we'll chop that up. Aaron, get on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Um, shall we do another? Sure, question? let's One do Dan. Question? I kind of want to hear what Rachel works like. This is going to be like, what do you work in? Kind of question from Dan Talbert. You have that one ready? Okay. Yeah, I do. It's an audio question. Our favorite kind of question here. Hey guys, my name is Dan. I'm an aspiring web designer, um, and I love the Shop Talk show. I hear a lot about um, web designers using um, Photoshop to create layouts, and I guess I'm pretty familiar with uh, the different creative uh, suite software options. I feel like Photoshop is the most difficult to use when it comes to creating layouts, and just trying to figure out and get some insight from you on why web designers choose Photoshop uh, to create layouts. I think that Obviously, InDesign is very easy to create layouts. Um, you know, in terms of when it comes to manipulating text and creating columns and grids, it's very simple. Uh, InDesign or Adobe Illustrator, I don't think is bad either. You can pretty easily create a custom grid and um, create any graphics is pretty easy. Photoshop, I'm I can you know manipulate pictures very well, um, but when it comes to creating grids, I have a really hard time, and I'm just trying to figure out why that has been. You know, kind of become seems like at least it's become an industry standard when it comes to layouts. Uh, if you guys could give me some some of your insights and what you guys think, that would be great. Thanks. All right, Dan is asking, what's up with Photoshop? Yeah, do you like and you do I, design I, I work, think, right, Rachel? Do you do? Is it every time you crack open Photoshop, or do you work in the browser? What's your like tools of choice these days? When uh when I first started um, working, I was like more designer developer. And I used, I used Photoshop and that was just because like when I went to um, college, that was like, they're like, use Photoshop. So um, that's what I did. These days I like 
I'm more being handed designs and then possibly having to edit them and then in order to like build them out. Um, But if I need, if I want to design anything myself, like just for fun, I do it in the browser because I, I can use Photoshop, but at the end of the day, like Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, they're all hard to use in my opinion. They're, they're not like an enjoyable experience. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I agree. I'm like, what is the deal? Because like they they all suck in some way when you're trying to do something. Um, so I like to design in the, in the browser mostly because um, I find that fastest for me. Mm-hmm. Um but certainly some things you just got to, you have to lay it out in a, in a graphics program because messing with it with like CSS would just take too long depending on the layout. So. Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we've, we, uh, you know, I happen to know that we're going to be talking about this in future episodes because they're already recorded. <laughs> but- <laughs> <laughs> What's that? What's that? Oh, we did yeah. some shows last night because uh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to be uh, traveling a little bit. Uh, but d- what about you, Dave? Do you do you do you, do you even install Photoshop? Uh, I have one computer with it, one without. It. <laughs> uh, my uh, anyway, I I'm split between two machines for a client right now. But um, yeah, so or maybe you could postulate uh, on why you think it became such an industry standard because I think we're all in agreement that it kind of is. So. My coworkers, Trent and Reagan, they both use Photoshop. And, and like, I've been like, hey, guys, let's change. And they're like, no. <laughs> I mean, this works just fine for us. And that's kind of the whole thing is, like, what works good for that person? And don't harsh their melody. Yeah, Katie Kavalson um, said the same thing around the show. Like, when you're working with a designer, like, is there some back and forth you can do it? Like, don't harsh on their – like, if their designer feels productive and happy in that software, great. Dan, you don't. Uh, Rachel doesn't. You know, or Dave? Did I call you Dan? That's yeah. crazy. Dan. Dan. You can call me Dan. Dan, Dan is the Dan, Dan was the question. Oh, asked. right. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. So there's three people in my immediate vicinity that that are confused and don't love Photoshop for these purposes, but some do. You know, and it's like I don't know. Then yeah. if you don't like it, then you don't use it. You know, like or or are you trying to have a industry wide crusade against it or something? And then what's in it for you yeah. if you do that? You know, like I don't know. I'm starting to get I off mean, it. I, I think so. I think it's fine. It's like whatever gets in your brain out. But uh, for me, like like the source of truth and in like like getting something out there. Like I like I can see a JPEG and I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. But like it's not alive to me until it's in code, and that's kind of where I'm. I I spend like all my day in code pen, which is again another dollar sign sound effect here. But um, like. <laughs> like I'm in code pen all day because I, it, I need to see it living and breathing in code. And, and so that's kind of where I've spent my time. Um, so why, I guess, why is, Photoshop, I mean, I, I feel like this is, we come from a, a weird background of, of like, sometimes it's people who are, uh, who are, programmers and they got on the web and they do code. And so they want to program in browser or something like that design in browser. And then some people came from like a strict marketing background. And those people are way more comfortable in Photoshop, like comp, a comp composition tool uh, like Photoshop. But I, I think illustrator actually seems to me, that's whenever I hear people like I design an illustrator, I'm that's where I'm like, I think you got it figured out because of 
I mean, Illustrator to SVG is is simple. Like you can literally copy and paste, <laughs> like from Illustrator into SVG. And SVG is now a native web technology. So so uh, we're we're now blurring the lines between like like you know a, a static comp and living HTML. So. Um, so that, that's when I feel like illustrator is, is kind of the, the up and coming, uh, kind of underdog. Cause, cause you can do a lot in it and man, uh, I don't know. Like if your designer made some weird custom grid with, with whatever, <laughs> like a I don't know, modular scale approach to the grid or something like that, that you, and you're like, what? And it's like, I just export me the SVG and I'll put it in the browser and it'll squeeze down you know, as a background image. So I don't know. That's, I think it's kind of cool that what Photoshop has become. So that's my thing. And I'm sticking to it. (laughs) I don't know. Rachel, I imagine you're in vector land a lot with a bunch or, or is WebGL sort of stuff the next level. A lot of the stuff we've done lately is like either very flat um, so yeah, it's more vector stuff or we've got this like crazy texturized stuff going on. So everything <laughs> is an image. So yeah, I, we don't, we don't, haven't used like SVG a whole lot, but I want to move into using it more for things like icons and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just haven't, a lot of things have been like time sensitive lately. So I haven't been trying to like bust out, um, SVG and all it's like little, weirdness to deal with <laughs> um so i haven't been confident to stick that in one of our commercial projects yet but next time we when we have more time to do these things i'll probably like start looking at using svg more and more sweet yeah i like sketch <laughs> uh, i yeah. i'm like two days in and i'm like this is nice so i i don't know we'll, we'll see if it sticks but it's it also hasn't entirely replaced photoshop too cuz I, I mean maybe in in some cases it will but it definitely seems to make more sense for layouts and stuff but then i'm kind of like i need a graphic that's 400 by 400 and i want to screw with it a little bit and then export it you know that seems like that's just always going to be photoshop territory but for the layout kind of thing the new tools are coming and are here that that maybe will unseat the standard layout things. We'll see. But I just I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm still a fan of of the the Adobe suite for what they do best. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, they all are continually improving their tools. But totally. Have you hey, seen you this? Know. Is this is like unsponsored? But they did sponsor CSS Tricks with the little uh, uh, thing called Extract. I just feel like it's mm. it's like incredibly neat. It's like it's an add-on for brackets, so you got to be using brackets. But then, like you know, you, you have autocomplete, right? So you're writing some CSS and you're like uh, T, and it's like text transform or text align, or you know, like there's autocomplete for stuff like that, uh, like a thing that that opens up. You know, Sublime is really good at it. And then even after you've picked the property, then it's like, oh, I picked text align. Do you mean left, center, justify, or you know, all the all the different options? And it's nice to have that. Everybody likes autocomplete. It like makes you more accurate about w- what what you write and stuff. Uh, the way that uh, extract works is that you have your Photoshop document open too, and it's like communicating with it. So if you happen to be on like an element that the background is like hex code LC one, two, eight, the autocomplete in brackets has that in the autocomplete. 
or what, mm-hmm. what if you're on a text element that is using a particular font stack when you type font family that what that the correct font stack is in the autocomplete or if you're like on a little svg graphic uh, as you're writing CSS, you can be like, well, I want the background image to be that little layer cropped out, saved at SVG and put at this folder location. So you're just like you, you, you trigger the autocomplete and it goes and does all that work for you in Photoshop, puts it in that location and then works. It's like insane. It's like some that's oh. like some next level convert Photoshop stuff. You know, right? Oh, Photoshop to SVG. That's it's, and that's not all. It's just, it just like, makes like autocomplete like this super powerful thing. So, yeah. Cool. Anyway, they didn't pay for that, but ching, <laughs> it's real. It's real. It's a damn compelling demo. We'll we'll invoice you guys. <laughs> but they're they're type kid right. and they did sponsor this one. So, hey, there you go. Awesome. Uh, well, cool. Uh, I think I, I, I think that's we should probably wrap it up here. Uh, Rachel, yes. thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm a huge, huge Shop Talk fan, so it's awesome to be on. You officially get a great job. So, <laughs> um, thank you for coming on. Uh, for those who aren't uh, following you and giving you money, how do they do that? <laughs> and then what's one thing you'd like to plug before you, you leave the show here? Um, oh, well, if you, if, if anyone wants to contact me, best places, hit me up on Twitter, um, Rachel Smith, Rachel Smith tweets, um, I have a website, rachelsmith.com that has a couple of blog posts on it, but really nothing to see there. Um, as far as giving me money, there's no way to do that. So don't have to worry oh, about that. Um, I'll, I'll have to work on that one. You could hire um, active theory. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, plug plug would have to be check out activetheory.net. Um, yeah, and uh, that's about it. Great. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to be probably poking around the old Active Theory portfolio all afternoon here. It's pretty sweet. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening, uh, following us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show, rating us up in your podcatcher of choice. Uh, we have a brand new store on the Shop Talk Show website that uh, temporarily broke our RSS feed, but we're back. And uh, so you should be getting this episode. Uh, but be sure to buy something. Get a, Christmas is coming. Buy, buy a little gift for you or a loved one. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Uh, Pod press is old. We should switch away from that. Also, shopdogshow.com. We should figure- <laughs> I like donut charts. I think they're super <laughs> rad. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks everyone for listening. Appreciate it. I'm going to give my voice a rest.